sermon text today is Romans 11, verses 33 through 36. Let's bow our heads and let's pray with me as we receive God's word. Lord, thank you for sending your word to us, to, for giving us your promises, for shining on us the light of truth through your Son, Jesus Christ. And pray that your spirit would work in our hearts as we hear your word that you deepen in us just a, a appreciation for your great mercy towards us and all that you've done to save us and to redeem us and renew us and, uh, and to just set us free in Christ. And so we pray that uh, as we hear your word, our hearts too would sing, to God be the glory. Amen. So we're looking at Romans 11. Verses 33 through 36, and uh, these verses are a kind of a, 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 they're a doxology, they're a song of, of praise, and a, a really, a really, a shout of praise from the heart of the Apostle Paul. And uh, the qu a question for us, well, what is making his heart sing? What's making his heart shout with praise? And uh, this is not part of, of a series, so I'm, I'm going to do a little... You know, a little background here on the book of Romans here very quickly. Uh, but for, for 11 chapters, Paul has been teaching and explaining the mercy of God given to us in Jesus Christ. And with each chapter, he's been addressing just one problem after another that is resolved in Jesus. And now his heart's just overflowing with praise. And so he says, Oh, the depth of of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So have you ever had a problem that you couldn't solve? I'm, I'm often brought with problems to solve, mostly from my children. Uh, it's very often I, they bring before that broken toy, and all you parents I'm sure have, remember this and or know this experience, that your child brings to you that broken toy with that tearful plea, Daddy, fix it. And you know, I, most of the time I can, little tape or super glue, you know. Um, but I'm also, you know, trying to start teaching my boys that they need to start taking care of their things and <laughs> trying to help them to understand, you know, what does it mean to be good stewards of what we've been given. But I also want them to be mindful that because there are things that there's some damages that I cannot fix. There's just some things that are beyond repair. And there's something so broken, it would take a miracle to fix. And Paul, he's rejoicing here because God has provided the miracle that fixes us. He's provided the miracle that fixes us. His mercy and grace can always reach us. There's no problem in this whole world that, to which God says, Oh boy, that's, that is a big problem. I don't know what I'm going to do about that one. 
No, God doesn't, he never says that. Paul rejoiced because God's mercy is deep enough. Run it back. Run it back. (laughs) Run it back. Went up three (laughs) slides. God's mercy is deep enough to save you. We're going to say that again. God's mercy is deep enough to save you. And that was the core, the reason Paul was rejoicing so much. So we, we know this because just a verse earlier, in verse 32, he says, For God has consigned all to disobedience so that he may have mercy on all. So this, these verses, this is about mercy. This is the core here. Paul is rejoicing because God's mercy is greater than all our sin and disobedience. And our sin and disobedience is a real problem. It's a real thing. And I'm sure most of you have experienced a time where you were stuck in a problem that you made. And maybe you suffered a loss, a a broken relationship. You experienced affliction and trouble. And you can look back and you can trace it back and look at the whole thing and realize that your actions made that. Your, your actions contributed and created that problem that you're now in. Now, others may have been part of the problem too, probably were, but their sins never excuse your own. And Romans, the book of Romans makes it really clear that what's wrong with this world is that we commit wrongs against each other. We commit evil against each other, and our hearts are corrupted by sinful selfishness so that the capacity for evil that it's awake and alive in every human heart we all start that way and our hearts don't want to hear it you know our hearts don't want to hear that we've done anything wrong we we deliberately our hearts naturally unless god does something our, our hearts tune that out we don't want to hear it but there are a few things in the book of Romans here. I'm just going to highlight a couple things here that the, the book of Romans says about our condition of sin. And the first one here is going to get Romans 1 up here. There we go. Romans 1, 29 through 32. So speaking of humanity, <laughs> our condition, it says, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless and though they know god's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die they not only do them but give approval to those who practice them and in case we didn't you didn't find yourself in this list didn't think it it was falling to you romans three twenty three just includes all of us and it says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of god but oftentimes we respond to this truth by trying to make our sin small. Or we try to excuse it, try to cover it up, or try to pretend it's nothing wrong with it. Nothing wrong with that sin. 
And we need God's word to wake us up and show us how awful sin is and how we are trapped by it. Romans, the book of Romans says that our sin makes us enemies of God, suppressors of the truth. We don't want, don't, don't want the truth to get out because it would show our wrong, and slaves of sin. And there's a important difference here between how God treats our sin and what the devil wants to tell you about your sin. Because once you wake up to your sin, you realize you've done wrong and your conscience feels that guilt. Because the devil doesn't want you to know you've done anything wrong. But once you do, then he, that's when he comes in and he's going to try to convince you that you are unforgivable. The devil becomes your accuser. He wants to tell you that your sins are too bad and that your heart is too dark. He wants you to despair, to be too afraid to ask God for help. He wants to convince you that God's not the one you can go to for help. That's the devil speaking there. He wants to condemn you to self-destruction. But God, he has a life-giving purpose in showing our heirs. He shows us our heirs so that we may turn to him and receive life from him. And the apostle Paul, who wrote the book of Romans, he had once been an enemy of God. He had, he had gladly hunted Christians to the death. And he had been smug and secure in his own self-righteousness. But Paul, who had, who had met the living Christ and the resurrected Christ and had become a Christian, that Paul, and that Paul, there is no, I'm better than you. There's none of that in him. He called himself the chief of sinners. And for Christians who are, who are in the Word and, and walking in the Spirit, there, there's an acute awareness of our own struggle with sin. And you, and you can look back and look back on that time, a time in your life and say, oh, what a fool I was back then. And sometimes daily, usually daily, God's Word reminds me that there are still some sins that I am blind to and that I need to be they need his word. I need his word daily to show me my own heart and my own ways. But against all our struggles with sin, the book of Romans also has wonderful news. It says, Romans 3, 24 through 25, all are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, to be received by faith. In Romans 5.1, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In Romans 5.8, we'll get there, promise. <laughs> Romans 5.8, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In Romans 6, 4, we were buried, therefore, with him, with Christ, by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And he goes on, verse 22, he says, but now you have been set free. You've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. 
The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. In Romans 8, 1, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. And finally, Romans 8, 38 and 39. I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Are you getting it? Are you picking up on the, on the theme? Because there, there's more. There is always more mercy in Christ Jesus. And no matter how bad your sin was, how dark your heart was or is, or how, or if you are a slave to sin and think you can't change, that you'll never change, there's always more mercy in Christ Jesus. And the riches of his mercy is infinitely deep. There's no bottom to it. That's why Paul shouted out, oh, the depth of the riches It's so deep, there's no bottom to the riches of his mercy. But not only his mercy, it's also his wisdom and knowledge. God has perfect knowledge, which includes perfect knowledge of all our sins and troubles, which is a scary thought right there. But with his perfect knowledge, he also has perfect wisdom. So he knows exactly what to do with your sin. It's not a, a, he knows he has a plan for it. And that plan is in Jesus Christ. He deals with all your sin in Jesus Christ. So there's no sin so great that God cannot bring mercy to you. God can and does, he brings his mercy to you. And he does that through Jesus Christ. And as we, the verses we just read, he does this through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ which forgives your sins. So in, and in that forgiveness, God delivers you from every problem of sin in your heart. So the punishment for your worst deed, for every, worst, every simple deed, that was placed upon Christ. Christ makes peace with the enemies of God. He breaks the power of sin over the heart. He puts to death the old dark heart, and and a new righteous heart is born in you. He connected himself to the death that you deserve, and he connects you to the eternal life that you do not deserve. And no matter how many times we mess up again and again, and we do, the solution is, is the same. It's the same solution. He brings you his forgiveness, the forgiveness of sins, which makes you clean. As we read earlier in 1 John 1, 9, he, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And just to make it really, really clear, that last verse I read there, Paul, he, he says, He just goes through all the powers in the world and all of creation, and he says, none of these can separate you from the love of God in Jesus Christ. Paul wants to make it abundantly clear to us, it doesn't matter 
how dark and how bad that sin was or what other powers are at work there, God can bring his mercy to you. And thus so Paul cries out, Oh, the depth of the riches of, and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. He knows every evil in the world and none of them can stop him from bringing his mercy to you. He brings it right to you. And uh, this brings us back to uh, Romans 1.16, the gospel. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. God, God speaks his promise right into your, your ear. He brings it right to you. And last week we had communion, and in communion... You know, the bread is, is brought to you and it's placed in your hand. The cup is brought to you, brought right to you and placed in your hand. You don't, you know, we, we don't have to go take hold of it. He brings it to you and places it right in your hand. And the gospel is preached to you in, in the word and, it, and he brings it this, right to your ear. And the Holy Spirit puts it right in your heart. And the Holy Spirit places that faith to believe it right in your heart. So God brings his mercy right to you. And he makes it clear to you that you are, you are the sinner that is forgiven by Jesus Christ. And he continues on. How unsearchable are God's judgments. How inscrutable his ways. Saying God, God's judgments, his decisions. So judgment there doesn't mean just judgment for punishment. It means all his judgments, all his decisions. These are unsearchable to us. They are, they are his way, his way through are the problems and the troubles of life. His way through is inscrutable to us. We can't track it. We can't see where it came from or where it's going. But God, he takes what was meant for evil and he brings in his mercy despite that evil. God can use every turn of events to bring his kingdom of mercy to more and more people. And Romans 8.28 says this, we know that those, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And God is, is not saying here that only good things will happen to his people. He's saying that God is able to work all things good and bad. He's able to take all the bad and he's able to work it towards good. Despite whatever evil happens, he can work it to, for your good. And, and I'm reminded of the, something here that I learned um, while I was learning to drive ships in the Navy. And um, for those of you who didn't know, I, if you, I, I served in the Navy for seven years, and I was an officer on a ship, and a big part of that was learning how to drive the ship. And I wasn't actually the guy on the wheel. You need like seven people on the, on the control station of that ship to safely drive it. The officer's the one looking out the window and he's the one calling out the orders. He's saying, okay, engines ahead, one-third, you know, right 10 degrees rudder, steady on course, one, five, zero. He's calling out the orders. He has to make the decisions that keep the ship on a safe course. And usually there's, there's two junior officers in this role. There's one who's already qualified and, and approved, certified by the captain. 
and then there's a new officer in training under him. And that it's usually the new officer in training, he, he actually gets to be, call the orders and stuff, so he, so he gets to learn this and practice this. And, and I was, and usually it's just them up there, but there are special times, you know, when the captain comes up to watch, because it's just that important. You know, when you're coming into a port and there's all these other ships, or you're leaving port and you're, you're close to the harbor, you're close to the rocks, the captain wants to watch this very carefully. Or in the middle of the sea, and we sometimes operate right alongside other ships where one bad wiggle and suddenly those ships are bumping, you know, in a very bad damage. So the captain, he'll come up and watch all those. And, but, but, the, but the junior officer is still the guy making the orders. He's still making the decisions. And, and as I was learning how to do this, I observed many different types of captains. And there well, one captain, he, he let me make all the decisions. He let me make all the commands. He just asked me to, as he called it, think out loud. <laughs> like, Tell him what I was seeing and, and bef as I was making my decisions. You know, so he let me do it. But then there were other captains who were much more controlling. Some of them were literally making all the decisions. And that poor junior officer, he was just a parrot, just, just repeating you know, what the captain was saying. And um, my, my dad, who, was, who he served in the Navy 26 years. He knows this you know, inside and out. Uh, he helped me understand kind of what was going on behind this, behind these huge differences in, in captains. And he said that oftentimes it has to do with how confident the captain is in his own ship handling skills. So a captain who is not very confident in his own ship handling skills, he's not, he has to have control of the situation because he can't let anything go wrong. So he has to have very closely controlled. Whereas a captain who is confident in his ship handling skills, he, he's going to let the junior officer try things out. He's going to let him try things because he is confident that there's no mistake that junior officer can make that the captain can't get them out of. And God is that kind of a captain. He's that second kind who says, you know, there's, there's no problem he cannot overcome. There's no evil that is a cause for despair for God's people. Now, evil, all evils in this world is a, is a cause for, for grieving. We should grieve when we see evil in this world, but we should not despair as those who have no hope. And, and really, the, the chapters preceding these verses, 9 through 11 here, they're just one big, long example of this. Paul was grieved in his heart that so many Jews in his day were not believing the gospel. But Paul, he, he you know, defiantly declared, he, he confidently declared that God could use that. God could use the unbelief of the Jews in that day to bring the gospel to more Gentiles. And then he could use the faith and the belief of the Gentiles to actually turn more hearts of the Jews back to him again. He could use all of this. And, and Paul was going, I don't know how God can do it. You know, I, don't, I can't track it. I can't track God's ways, but he can do this. And we might look at our own world today and ask, what hope is there? How, how, could, there be, how could good come out of this? And we look at our world and we have a struggling economy with growing rapid inflation, the world is being rocked by a war. 
and we look at our, our, our own society, our institutions, more, so many institutions are becoming more and more corrupt. And we look at our culture, we look at our education systems, and so many of them are, are turning people away from God, pushing them away from God and from righteousness. And we might look at that and say, what, you know, how is this going to turn around? But God, he can take every twist and turn, every setback, everything that raises itself against him, and he can use it for his kingdom. He can use it to bring mercy to more people. He can use it to break strongholds of evil and set people free in his son. And he showed this most clearly in the death of his son, Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ, the death of the Messiah, that should have been a, a huge defeat. That should have been evil's moment of victory. Saying, hey, you know, the Messiah is dead. Game over. But God raised Jesus from the dead. And what should have been a, a defeat, the most horrible defeat, became God's way of bringing salvation and mercy to all mankind. God's mercy is deep enough to save you. Because through Jesus Christ, he has overcome every evil that may be in this world. Even those within you, most, most especially those within you. And he did, has done all this to bring you his mercy. And we also see, so you may have known, if you've heard some of my earlier sermons, you may have noticed there's a pattern that I tend to wind up real big for the first punch, and then my last couple points are more quick. <laughs> and the same is same today, there's a big wind up here for this first punch. These last two points are going to be more of a quick Double tap. So, well, our next thing here, the next, we're moving to that next verse, 34, 35. And in this we see that God's mercy is given to you by grace. There we go. It's given to you by grace. Verses 34 through 35. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Or who has been given a gift? Or who, who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? So as we just talked about God's, God's decisions that are unsearchable, his ways are inscrutable, we can't track them, we can't see where they came from, making it very clear, we can't know God's mind unless he showed in us and revealed it to us. We can't find him. No one, no, there's no person who can say, oh yeah, yeah, I, I found God and I looked inside his heart and his mind and I saw what he was thinking and, I told, and so I suggested to him, hey, hey God, I, I think you should send your son to die. You know, there's no human that said, oh yeah, I knew God's mind. And that, so I counseled him. You know, no one, no man or woman would have come up with this, that plan. And there's no person who was, you know, who was in the presence of the majesty of God in all his glory and awesomeness who would have suggested, um, hey, hey God, I was thinking here that, you know, how about we trade places? You come down, take all my misery and my suffering and punishment, and, I'm good, and I'll get all your glory and eternal life. You know, no one, no one standing in God's presence would have, have suggested this or counseled this. And, and Paul here, he's, he's given us three hypothetical um, questions, all of which are meant to be clearly no. And so first of all, he says, has any of us known God's mind? No. <laughs> Did any of us counsel? Did any of us give advice to God on how to best save humanity? No, none of us did that. And then, did any of us 
Did any human ever give God such an awesome, extravagant gift that God is now in his debt and now owes him something? No, <laughs> we know no, no one has ever done this. Because literally anything we would, God's the creator of all things, so literally anything we would give up to God is just giving back to him what has always been his. And I think about, you know, when, when your kids give you a gift, you know, most especially when they're, they're still living in your home and they're young and, and they give their parents a gift, you know, you, you love this because, you know, but, you know, because they, you just love it that they did that because they thought, oh, you know, hey, this is good. I wanted you to have it. But, but the gift they gave you, I mean, literally, you know, everything they give to you is something you provided them. They, they put the gift together out of, of what you provided to them. They're just giving you back what's yours, really. And so even though you love it and, and you're, you're like, oh, I love that my child gave me this gift, are, are you now more obligated to love your child because they gave you that gift? No, you're not any more obligated than you were before just as a parent to care for them. And we look at God, God, well, none of us has ever given him a gift that he didn't already have. We don't, he doesn't actually owe us anything. So now if God was not motivated by our negotiation or our counsel or by any great gift we gave to him, what is his motivation for giving us his bottomless mercy? God's mercy is given to you by his grace. God is motivated by his own love, his own heart of love for you. He brings you his grace, whether you deserve it or not just because he loves you, because that's his heart. In 1 Timothy 2.4, it says this, God desires all people. It's God's desire. God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So this, all this rich mercy and, and perfect knowledge and wisdom God has shown to bring you his mercy, it's all out of his heart of grace. He brings you his mercy out of his grace. So there's, there's no need to ever doubt that his mercy is for you. It's meant for you because it's out of his heart of grace. And when finally we see that God is the supreme good. God is the supreme good. Verse 36, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And God is the supreme good because all things are from him. He, he created everything there is, so anything good that exists was created by him. He is its source. And, and every good thing, I mean, had to start then with, with an idea in the mind of God. Like so, so literally anything good had to start with God. And there, without him, there is no good thing. And if we try to, to take something that is good and enjoy it without him, it will ultimately sour and disappoint us because the good things are, you know, of, in creation are finite. They come to an end eventually. They run out. But God is the infinite good whose riches never run out. And you and I, we were created to, to enjoy all the good that God is. And we were created to to mirror his goodness, to show and reflect his goodness to the world around him as we mirror the good that he is. Not the good that we are, but the good that 
he is. And God is the supreme good because all things are through him. So God didn't, he didn't wind up creation like a clock and set it running and say, hope it works out, good luck, and then, you know, walk away. He's, he is ruling creation. And that means that evil is a, is a rebellion within God's kingdom of righteousness. But he is able to bring his mercy even to the rebels, even to rebels like you and me, and, and bring them into his kingdom. He's able to bring us this mercy. And he does this out of his grace with his perfect knowledge and wisdom. He brings us the riches of Christ. And he places it in your hand. And all this is through God. And finally, God is the supreme good because all things are to him. That All things are unto him. So he's the creator of all things, but he's also the ultimate good, and he is the ultimate purpose. So he made all things. All things exist for him. And through the redemption in Christ, God is he's restoring his lost children. He's restoring his broken creation. He's gathering all this back to himself. Everything is ultimately for him, for his purposes. And in him we find our meaning. Because as we are in him, we find that he is the meaning. And, and your small little part suddenly has eternal, infinite value because it is part of his story. He's the God that has rescued us from sin. He's brought us to his own glory and goodness. Through Jesus Christ. To God be the glory. Great things he has done. Amen. Please pray with me. God, I pray that today and every day we would be reminded of the great good you have done for us. To bring us your mercy in Christ Jesus. The great love that you have for us. That we would see the glory and goodness and that you are and the grace and mercy you show to us and bring to us through your son, Jesus Christ. And may we respond to this with faith and belief, trusting in it, trusting that you work all things together for good, that you can do this despite the evils that we see and experience in this world. And may our hearts rejoice and sing to God be the glory, great things he has done. In Jesus' name, amen.